0: Hey, Rockheads. Before we get started today, I want to let you know about an opportunity to get face-to-face with some of your favorite .NET rock stars at Dev Intersection, happening this October from the 25th through the 28th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. One all-day workshop in particular is called Building Single-Page Applications with Angular 2 with John Papa and Dan Walleen. That happens all day Tuesday. Now, this is a hands on workshop, so you bring your own laptop and do the work. This workshop explores the core pieces that help you build end to end SPA solutions, including the role of ES6 and TypeScript, project setup, code structure, using data binding and MVSTAR, abstracted remote data calls through services, routing, and more. You'll see several demos and be provided with the code throughout the workshop that'll help you learn and understand the Angular 2 framework. And if you register for a workshop package before August 3rd, you'll get your choice of a Microsoft Band 2, a Surface 3, or an Xbox One. Plus, you'll save nearly a grand. Get it? All right, well, register now at devintersection.com, and we'll see you there.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1342 with guest chris love recorded friday august 26th 2016
0: welcome back to dotnet rocks this is carl franklin
2: and this is richard campbell
0: here with uh, chris love we're going to talk to him in just a few minutes but uh but first, uh, Mr. Campbell, how yes, are sir. you? Uh, you know,
2: I'm getting more and more moved into my office over time. So, you know, finally stuff's starting to work and uh, it's still there's still stuff to be done. But, you know, it's something about being in the room. And now the office I have to myself. Mm. So I'm putting up a bunch of sound dampening and so forth. So rather than having a recording booth, my whole office is the recording space. That's awesome. I'm really happy.
0: Well, I can't complain here. I mean, I'm in the studio. It's uh, fairly clean, and uh, everything's working perfectly. And um, I haven't Don't seen it. the sun all day because this is the fourth show we've recorded today. Yep. I love a four show day. Yeah, me too. Got to uh, hang out with my cousin who stopped by last night. That was fun. But now it's back to work. Hey, let's roll the music, because I got something very interesting I think you'll find, and maybe Chris will find it interesting, too. All right, dude, what do you got? For Better Know Framework today, I want to talk a little bit about iOS images. And, you know, when your iPhone or iPad takes a picture and saves it to a JPEG, it embeds the orientation of the device into the JPEG file. I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually metadata in there where you can say, you know, how it's rotated. Is it portrait top to bottom, portrait bottom to top, landscape, same way. And Windows primarily ignores this. Right. You know, if you just look in all of the things that show JPEG files in uh, in Windows, they're, they're ignored. But every once in a while you get an application that doesn't like it, you know, and facebook comes to mind i think they might have fixed this but i do recall uploading pictures to facebook that i took with my iphone and then they show up upside down or sideways and uh you can essentially strip that metadata out of a file a jpeg file with a tool called trash xif interesting and this is an app store tool if you go to 1342.pwap.me or just look on the App Store in your iPhone or whatever for trash exif, you'll find it. And it's free. Um, I f- somebody pointed this out to me, but that was after I had written an application, uh, just a little WPF app that cycles through all the JPEG files in a folder. And if it sees a JPEG with metadata, it rotates it and then removes the metadata. And uh, saves it again, and and this is code that I basically put together, and turns out it works great. Nice, yeah. So now you know, you know, I have the slideshow over my uh, mantle over the fireplace, yeah,
2: yeah. Family slideshow
0: on the family room, yeah, in a great big TV, and it's always showing these random photos from uh, from our combined lives, which is great. And uh, every once in a while, though, something comes up. uh, sideways or upside down and it's really annoying and then Mm -hmm. i look at it with windows it looks perfectly fine no so i had to yeah i had to go through it and fix it like this so so this is a way that you can just do it right on your device itself that's cool yeah if you have iphone yeah but you know i'd like to talk to chris and see if he's had any uh experience with you know sideways ios photos or anything like that when he comes on in a few minutes who's talking to us richard Grabbed a comment off a of show eleven eighty
2: three, the one we did back in August of twenty fifteen with Chris. We were talking about optimizing mobile websites, which is certainly something who's fixated on. Mm-hmm. And his whole conversation about keeping pages light and so forth stimulated a lot. A lot of conversation. Oh yeah. Like no two ways about it. The opinions flying. And one of them came from Tim Clark, who said the advice from Chris loved not to use jQuery or Angular JS because of size concerns came as a complete shock to me (laughs) the current version of jquery when minified and sent to the browser gzipped is 32k for comparison's sake the thumbnail image of chris on the show page is 39k nobody would or should bat an eye at showing an image on a web page and yet that's something that's actually bringing functionality to a site we should question whether it's worth the bandwidth Mm-hmm. A few other points I would like to mention: If you use Google CDN for jQuery, most users will already have it cached in the browser. Oh, we recently had a show with a our comment from a, a listener in China who said, "If you do that, the page doesn't work for him mm-hmm. because the Google CDN is not available in China." Time spent writing is time not shipping. For every minute that I have to spend writing my own implementation of something jQuery gives me out of the box, is time my software isn't on the market. It also assumes that my implementation is going to be perfectly bug-free and work on all browsers, something I know I'll get using jQuery. Okay, a little optimistic, but I get it. Okay. Uh, When new developers come on board, they'll have to learn the project's version of how to do things instead of the jQuery way of doing things, which almost all developers understand these days. Okay, also optimistic, but Mm -hmm. okay. Mm The advantage of having common understanding on how to do things like Bootstrap or jQuery should not be underestimated. Being able to step into a new project and see familiar patterns and practices is invaluable. And finally, software is not static. Even though version one of software may not need jQuery, there will come a time when you need to implement a new feature that would take two seconds with a jQuery plugin, at which point you either spend a month implementing it yourself or you break down, as you should, and use the jQuery plugin. As soon as you do that, all the effort you spent writing your own code... To replace jQuery ends up being wasted cycles
0: well, and you know you could even replace jQuery in his statement in his in his message with anything you know any kind of library that helps you do something, and he would probably still be making the same point, yep,
2: well, and you know it's just an interesting discussion about. You know, there's two different viewpoints here, and I know we'll bring Chris in and he'll have plenty to say about this because mm-hmm. he did have a long conversation with Tim in the discuss comments about yeah. exactly this issue, which is, you know, what if you all cared about perform, performance often has a code size development time trade off. I've done that for years. Yep. You, you always balance those things. And if you, if performance was absolutely key, Thinnest and lightest is ultimately the best way to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do buy into if we were going to optimize that image, we'd probably make it smaller. But even then, we'd probably inline it as a sprite. Yeah. Uh, we just aren't that concerned on the .dotnet Rock site with performance, which is why the page is a spa. Yes, so that's Tim. Right. Thanks so much for your comment. I'm sure it's going to stimulate a lot of conversation for our show. Uh, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you
0: comment there and we're reading on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We can press him. I swear. All right. G-zip. Now, yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, let's bring Chris on. Chris Love is a front-end developer for people and companies who are lost in the sea of modern web and user experience standards. I love that. I love that. He has a quarter century of web development experience and has built a wide variety of websites and applications in those years. In recent years, he's immersed himself in responsive web design, single-page web applications, and web performance optimization. He applies these interests to run a small web consulting company, Love2Dev, that's great, that focuses nice. on user-first web applications that operate on all device classes and usage contexts. love to dev offers web development and analysis to help companies engage and users operate more efficiently. Chris authored three web development books, including High Performance Single-Page Web Applications. Uh, He's a Microsoft MVP, ASP Insider, and Edge user agent. Chris regularly speaks at user groups, code camps, and developer conferences. He blogs at lovetodev.com and is active on Twitter at Chris Love. Welcome back, Chris.
1: Hey, guys. How are you doing, Richard? I'm awesome, man. How are you? Doing great. What's up, Slim? Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Joining the ranks
0: of you, my friend.
1: Hey, you know it's great. Everybody should uh, should get in shape and and enjoy their life. You know. Yeah i I see what I did this ketogenic diet as the perfect diet for computer ass. Nice. Yeah, you know, I heard you. I heard you talking about that term on one of your keto podcasts, and I was like, I like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> it's really true. Well, anyway, um, let's start with the uh, the easy one the the rotated images that you get sometimes from iPhones
1: and uh, iPads. Have you ever experienced that in your, in your life? I don't take photos that often with my iPhone because my iPhone doesn't have a whole lot of storage space because their apps are so freaking large. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I tend to uh, really just use my iPhone for testing my web applications and listening to podcasts because I like the iTunes stuff on there. So I haven't done that myself, but I, I got a good idea that, yeah, I've seen that issue. Yeah. Um, you know, we, when you see people post videos from their iPhone, they usually have that blocky black, uh, uh, white, white space or whatever on the right and left. Mm. And I, I think people need to learn to take them in landscape or, or some way to edit that because it always looks really bad, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen some, YouTube, some YouTubers that uh, take videos with their iPhone, and what they do is they use that space to do promotionals or, or a side-by-side video of what's actually on the screen. Right. Letterboxing. Uh, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: So your last show really set off a torrent of comments, and if I could summarize your last show, it's you know performance at all costs, and uh, you know you need to balance these things. But you mentioned some of the things that you do and don't do, and you don't use jQuery, and you don't uh, mm-hmm. typically use any kind of um, a framework, JavaScript framework. And yeah, you had some people going, "Yay, Chris!" and then others were going, "What are you crazy?"
1: <laughs> it's it's interesting when I talk to a more enterprise-y crowd, they usually throw rotten tomatoes at me. Sure. And when I yeah, and when I talk to what I consider a web development crowd, mm. they usually stand up and applaud. I get two just, you know, distinct uh, reactions to it. And I think one of the re- realities is, is that enterprise developers are not front-end developers. They really right. specialize in back-end code. And it makes a lot of sense. It's very logic based, whereas front end well, i'm not I won't consider myself a designer because I don't have a creative side to me. Uh, I do have to kind of understand is this usable? What is the human psychology of this experience? And you know i like I kind of got a man crush on Mark Miller because he does all this great research on you know how the mind thinks and reacts to different things, and if you see one of his, uh you know presentations like a keynote or something like that he's usually talking about you know the color contrast and the yeah. font sizes and where th- and those things all matter and i don't think uh the average enterprise developer has time to really consider that the you see all these uh positions for full stack developer with right. angular or react or, or or you know your resume buzzwords you know the resume driven development space i <laughs> love <laughs> <Who was> that <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. I've seen it RDD. so often. Um, yeah, I've I, there's several enterprises I've been into, and I've been trying to help them decide how to build uh, this modern kind of mobile friendly first uh, approach to stuff to kind of rewrite their their front ends. Right. And they're and they're they're like, man, this stuff just looks really good, but I'm so worried about basically buzzword bingo on my resume. Yeah. And then they usually just fall back to um, the big the big framework. And usually, the stuff goes really slow. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, Josh—I think it was, was it Josh Clark—was the the gentleman's yeah. name that commented on there. Yeah, I mean, he has he has the standard reaction I, I get from a lot of enterprise uh, developers. So I'm not—I don't—I don't shy away from it. And you know, I think the reality is they need to understand that the browser is a totally different platform than the server or the cloud side. Hmm. Um. There's there's one client in particular. They had a team of 10 developers on a project, and they were all being switched from the back end where they'd been working for, say, 10 years on, on the same kind of architecture. It was, it was service bus sort of architecture stuff and making them do all front-end stuff. And they looked at it and said we don't have a service bus in the browser. We must write a service bus in the browser. So they spent six weeks writing service bus for the browser and they came up with 600 kilobytes of code to say hello world. And I went, we got a problem, guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, but I've seen that kind of stuff before and and, and everything. And, and usually what it boils down to is I, I hear them say, well, you know, well, I want to have these, these keywords on my resume because I may not be here in a year or so or things may change or I may want to move or whatever. So I just got to keep And we've got this, that giant fire hose of of stuff moving and it just overwhelms us. And I've heard just as many developers come to me and go, how do I keep up with all this stuff? It's moving so fast. Yep. My advice, honestly, is just ignore it as much as you can. Listen to .NET Rocks. They'll tell you what's important and uh, (laughs) filter from there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. now,
2: I do want to call you out on this idea, Chris, of the, you know, you're this many bytes for a hello world, because that's arguably the worst case scenario, right? Odds are your site's going to do more.
1: It's not. It's honestly not the worst I've seen, though. So,
2: yeah, but it, but if you're only at one page and you're looking at the overall size of things, you know, once you actually build out a site, the fraction of the site that is that plumbing code goes down substantially. Right, it's it's the big the bigger it gets.
1: Um, it depends. Um, if I'm left to my own control, let's say I've got full control over the whole client set architecture. You know, I've built four and five hundred you know page single page applications with less than two hundred kilobytes of uncompressed code, just right. straight up JavaScript, <laughs> because I understand basically how to do. I, I try to follow like an MVC pattern. If you really looked at my code. You would look at it and go, wow, that probably is like Backbone, just slightly simplified. And that's, right. that's that's about as close as I can get to a popular framework that I follow. That architecture to me works really well. And so it becomes very thin and very lean. Now, Backbone, one of the reasons why I didn't jump on Backbone is it kind of has a hard dependency on, I think it was uh, Underscore and possibly even jQuery, and while I like underscore being nice and small, one of the things that just kills me, this is maybe my OCD side of me, is it's got functions in there that I'm not going to use. And why do I want to ship that code if I'm not using it? <laughs> if I could basically, well, I mean, but so what I do is I will get underscore, I'll get low dash, for example. And if I can break apart the, the, func- the single function or, or four or five functions that I need, you know, I will make a small extension module or something off some sort of, you know, base module. Or like a function, essentially extend extend a class uh, with a function. Take that functionality out as much as I can and keep it as simple as possible. Most of the time, people tell you, "Well, you write stuff from from scratch." Honestly, I don't usually. Um, I I visit Stack Overflow every day, just like everybody else, and kind of wade through some some all these uh, you know weird edge edge cases and. Because my mind just can't remember every single thing out there, uh, especially yeah. in the CSS space. Wow, there's so much you can do there. But uh, the Java, you know, JavaScript is kind of unique because, you know, he was talking about. Well, it's uh, 32k. I think it's 36k jQuery's uh, size right now. I checked it a couple weeks ago. I think it was 36. Right. But it and yeah, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. Uh, but that is. What three? It's at least two round trips, if not three round trips, to the server to get the full package. And if you don't understand round trips and, and TCP slow start, um, you, you kind of need to do a little research on, on that. You'll understand why having really small files is really super key.
2: If you're if you're gonna start counting packet sizes, dude, like that's 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 getting pretty anal, in it is, you're, gonna, isn't you're, it? you're, you're you're concerned about the, TC- the tcpip crc checks per block exactly
1: well that, that's just that's just how far I, that's how far some of us have gone you know
2: yeah well if you're that bandwidth constrained i mean again these are conditions on which you're working in yeah I I spent enough time working in like developing countries technologically where yeah the the C the the CRC checks weren't punishment for the total bytes that they hauled they were punishment because of the latency
1: and exactly. so we we yeah. did
2: care the round trip mattered because we were running 600 milliseconds of latency because we were bouncing off of satellites
1: yeah it's it's exactly these I mean but the thing is if if I can make it and if I can make the whole application load say in you know a dozen or twenty four round trips. Yeah. you know, without, let's say without the images, I'm not counting images, it's a different kind of ball game. Um then my application's probably going to load really quick, pretty much anywhere on any device. And I'm going to have happy users everywhere. And that's, you know, you'd be like, well, if, that's, if it's so hard to get it that small, then it's maybe not worth it, you know, which is what Josh brought up. You know, I'm spending way too much time developing. I found that I spend as much time, as much time, if not less time, doing the same kind of development without a framework as I would with a framework, because you still have to learn the framework and you got to learn its quirks. And inevitably the resume driven development takes over and you wind up four years from now having the prototype layer, the jQuery layer, the Ember layer, the angular layer, and then the react layer on top of it. And when you, when it's all said and done, you've got three megabytes of JavaScript before you got your application even specific to your application, the code to your application done.
0: I don't know if you've heard Richard talk about the uh, appliance that his company strange loop made Mm -hmm. and they did a lot of um, performance enhancements, but one of them I thought was really cool. I wonder if there's a soft solution for, which is to combine all the images into a single image with Mm -hmm. a map that sort of breaks them all up.
1: That was one of the things we did. That is, that is very fascinating. Um, you know, so here's one of the things too. When we're talking about TCP stuff, uh, over the next year or so, uh, hopefully, I'm praying that Microsoft finally gets their servers updated. We'll have HTTP/2 support, and that will change yeah. the ballgame a lot on all the individual file requests if they're coming from the same source, right? Because then you can you don't have to worry about the limitation of six simultaneous connections from a browser, which is the default that the browsers kind of fell to, generally the spec actually says two.
2: And some browsers do more and some browsers do less and some browse, and some web servers see multiple connect, more connections as a DDoS attack and cut them off. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get into the, some of those things and then the proxies and things like that that are built in. And yeah. So HTTP2 hopefully will help uh, with that. So that if you, it, it actually, in theory, and I've seen some contradictions to it, in theory, if you have Multiple file requests. Let's say you've got 25 images instead of having one image like strange loop device would have uh, created. Those 25 images would get downloaded a little more parallelly um, without having to re, you know, go back. So you only waterfall. You would you wouldn't see as many uh, uh, individual uh, requests going on. You would just see the kind of the single thing, and it, it kind of it's more seamless that way. And so it should open up. Uh, some advantages there.
2: It will. You know, the precursor to HTTP2 is a thing called Speedy, S-P-D-Y, and it was the same thing. Can we get... We we have broadband now. We don't care about number of sockets anymore. Like, all of that stuff's gone away. Can I just get all the files, please? Right. And we... A strange loop actually implemented... We were one of the first people to let Speedy anywhere. And it was the same thing, right? If if you have a, a Speedy-capable browser, here's this device sitting in front of all your web servers. You don't have to do anything. We just do that for you. Yeah. But it, Speedy's largely gone away in lieu of what has become HTTP2. And the same thing. It's just this is a constraint it doesn't need to be there.
1: Yeah, Google, I know I saw something this past week where they have officially deprecated Speedy. Yeah. Which... Yeah, you know, that, that's that's one of the things that happens to the hmm. specs and standards and RFCs. They eventually become improved, and you get version two or whatever it is. So, right. so you can kind of look at HTTP two as like version two of speedy, as well as version two of HTTP. Yeah. So, and, and you know, and I'm still kind of learning what what really HTTP two is going to mean to all of us. And um, and since you know the Microsoft servers don't support HTTP two yet, it's not something that has been something I've looked at going, oh, okay, well, we can adopt it because I can't uh, as far as hosting on that. Now, if you go to you know any any other kind of web server, like a Linux-based web server or, or something like that, you can certainly have HTTP2 support. And there's a lot of um, servers that are already supporting it. And so your site may actually support that. Um, and there's ways to test in the browser to see if it's coming down that way. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of what that is though, but I know I've seen it. So, But it's definitely something that's on my Got to dig into deep uh, over the next few months, uh, radar, and uh, just kind of evaluate more about what's going on. So, so in th- to that point, I mean, so bundling uh, JavaScript files and CSS files probably not going to be advantageous uh, in that scenario. And so the reason is, and, and Josh kind of alluded to the caching thing. And we'll talk. I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because that's another common misconception. The theory with HTTP2 is if the resource hasn't changed, you get that, that 304 response from the server, meaning it hasn't changed since the last time you asked for it, and you've got the local copy, use that local copy, right? And then it just goes to the next one down the chain. So instead of having, say, a 100-kilobyte file, now you may only need to download two files of 8 kilobytes each or something like that that might have changed. And so I've talked, I've talked to some... You know some DevOps types type of folks who have like the HTtp two stuff implemented, and they said that uh, you know their server requests have drastically gone down when they switched uh, to be able to support that so that's that's good. but I've also seen some other people say that it actually slowed down their page load times and stuff like that too, and so I think I think it kind of varies based on what you're actually doing that's that's part of the stuff I'm trying to figure out you know where's the the, the balancing point to do all that?
2: One of the things we often ran into is the 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 folks that are interested in this sort of thing are already doing a lot of optimizations and often an optimization strategy is not compatible with a, like a major protocol shift or anything like that it'll actually be worse. They can probably make it better if they take the time but it's not a small thing and it's, you get into this there is not one right way to do these things.
1: No, there's, there's really not. And, you know, I get accused of being, you know, extremely dogmatic about things. I'm not as dogmatic as people think. I'm just more like, you got to make that time to first interaction crisp and you got to make the, the interaction with it after that uh, fluid. And there's ways and techniques that we know work. And if you, it's, it's almost like learning how to eat and cook all over again. And does that resonate with yeah. you, Carl?
0: Yeah, it sure does. <laughs>
1: And so once you learn how to cook, you learn how to write the code better, um, and you build better applications, and you eat better, and and your your application is healthier. Uh, I call it HTML5 Fit. So you got to know where to shop, first of all. <laughs> yeah, you really do. And well, yeah, absolutely. So, um, what are some scary things that people? So he he's like, I don't want to let go of jQuery because I know it just works everywhere. Well, okay. Um, Here's, a good, here's the good news. Microsoft no longer supports IE 10 and below. And in theory, no company should be running anything earlier than IE 11, which is a pretty good standards-based browser. It's not getting any new features, if anybody's wondering. Yeah. Um, and if your company is not running IE 11 and you're still running IE 8 or IE 9, you're actually in violation of your licensing agreement with Microsoft, if I understand everything correctly. And you're on your own as far as security goes.
0: Aren't you always on
2: your own as far as security goes? Really? Well, more, more relevantly, it's like, they're not, if they're, if a new vulnerability shows up, they're not going to patch IE9.
0: Yeah.
2: That's what they're really saying. Yeah. And that's supposed to be that, that pokes at an IT guy, right? Like there is no fix coming.
0: (laughs) You better upgrade.
2: Right. It's only a matter of time.
0: Yeah. Fix your behavior.
2: Yeah. We're not giving you a choice. Here, we're you're not, you're not going to patch your way
0: out of this. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now. It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to introduce a new concept in humor. Joke oh. performance. Mm. Or how can I make you laugh with the least amount of words? <laughs> My conclusion is to tell only the punchlines. For example... Nice. What'd you do that for? Most guys take the camel into town to get girls. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's all about efficiency. That's it. Just go to the punchline. <laughs> I mean, we'll start a new trend. It's actually time to give away a run as radio coffee mug to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And uh, Run As Radio, of course, is the Microsoft-centric IT podcast that Richard has been doing for years and years. Mm, Since 2007. Yes. And uh, Richard, why don't you tell us about um, a recent show, or something that you're talking about? I got a couple of things to, to,
2: to talk about, actually. Uh, went in the summertime to ChefConf, so Chef is a configuration deployment management tool uh, that they invited me to hang out there. Got to meet with a bunch of their folks and, and meet some really cool people, and I've recorded a whole stack of shows of it. Awesome. Uh, you know, very much like going to TechEd or or uh, NDC or any of those sorts of things. And one of the fellows I talked to was John Middlehauser. Ah, who's he? John wrote Mosaic. What? Yeah, that guy. You know, what? was. Was buddies with Andreessen, like, back then, this is that guy. Wow. You know? Wow. And uh, so one of the first employees at Netscape, and da, 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 da. these days he's the CEO of a company called Cloudbolt. And the actual conversation we had, other than mentioning, by the way, you're one of the internet gods, right. was uh, just the whole conversation about how, whether you're on-prem or in the cloud or anything like that, like cloud infrastructure, cloud architecture makes sense. And just mm-hmm. what did that really mean? What is it, where does it go? And so forth. The other show that's getting a ton of resonance uh, that's recent, just in the past few weeks, uh, and I think would also be very applicable to Don and Rock's listeners, is a show called Building a Blameless Postmortem Culture. Ooh, interesting. So, I you know, like that. on the operations side, we're very into our postmortems. We've had the outage, we've come out the other side, and it's super easy to fall in the trap of you made it go away, let's not talk about it. So we're really trying to cultivate this idea of how do we make sure that doesn't happen again, like understanding the problem very deeply. And part of that comes from recognizing that it's nobody's fault per se, that fault pursuit is not the goal here. What it is it ultimately is prevention. And so this was a very much a culture discussion. And isn't it interesting whenever you get into those kinds of conversations, how the audience reacts? Yeah. It's like, you know, and the reaction for a lot of the audience is, oh man, all the bad things you're saying about this, that's my place. <laughs> so yeah, they can relate. It's very challenging to sort of get through those things. So it's been, been a ton of fun to uh, uh lately touching on these different elements and, and so on plus our usual candidate of what's happening is change here comes server twenty sixteen hang on to your hats folks right. and uh, mobile management those sorts of the the modern problems for operations folks
0: well you can listen to all that at runasradio.com or just search for run as radio in your favorite podcast uh, app. You bet. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner, Richard, is Emmanuel Larieux. Oh, congratulations, Emmanuel. Yeah. and
2: uh, I'll get that mug out to you right away.
0: And Emmanuel just won a coveted Run As Radio coffee mug just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Chris Love, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Oh, man. I knew you were going to ask me this
1: question. I did not think about oh. it. Oh, dun, dun, dun. You can
0: do the, you know, I'd like a HoloLens. Everybody says that.
1: That's
2: a safety
0: one.
1: Yeah, uh, You know, honestly, it's, it's not high on my personal radar. Yeah. And it doesn't run JavaScript. It looks it it looks cool and everything it's kinda of one of those things for me, I'm like, maybe I'll wait till gen two or gen three. I don't know. Yeah. I'm more yeah. I honestly I'm more into fitness stuff right now. Exercise because I've you know I've gotten in to actually being a weekend warrior athlete all of a sudden. Oh wow. Um, yeah. so I probably would invest I'd probably invest a little more into maybe some crossfit type of stuff that maybe monitored things because i got you know i got my microsoft van but i know there's other stuff out there like like there's this one thing like i've been learning about this does gait analysis for running because i'm trying to relearn how to run again and uh yeah there's all kinds of really fascinating stuff
0: and my runner friends are all into the barefoot running because you know being close to the ground there's something about energy being picked up from the ground that i thought was kind of
1: hokey sounding but turns out it's real well you don't have to you don't have to run to do that you can just walk out in your yard it's called grounding Right, <laughs> uh, and some some people get a little nutty. They actually they actually run a copper wire from their outside to their inside, and somehow put put magnets under their mattress and carry the grounding current so they sleep grounded or something. I don't know.
0: Now this right. this
1: sounds a it's little getting a weird little nutty, here,
0: but the barefoot running thing is is a thing.
1: It is. It's it's been a fad. I think it's kind of trending down from what I'm picking up on because I'm getting all into this running, ultra running, endurance running. So because I'm running obstacle course races, Spartans in particular. Wow. So, I'm learning a lot of the culture again, or a period, first time ever, well, this running culture. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, I think three or four years ago, the barefoot running was like a, kind of a cool fad thing. But they, kinda, they said it's come and gone a few times. Uh, but just walking around barefoot is probably actually a good idea from what I can pick up on. Yeah. Nothing else. The grass feels good in your toes. So. And in Richard's
0: uh, part of the world, the magic mushrooms grow. In the lawn. Yeah. So you can yeah. have an altogether different experience walking through the grass.
1: You know, it'd probably be, it, it would probably be about $5,000 in technology equipment, maybe a better treadmill and some a cycle or something like that that I, that I don't have nice. downstairs. It would give me all kinds of good feedback. I like, I like the data. I actually figured out how to hack the data in my Microsoft Band Health uh, stuff through the API. I figured out how to spoof right. it and get all my Microsoft Band data. And I'll let... Um, Dave Bowles, the one of the local uh, DX guys, he had a group out in Pittsburgh do some sort of code campy kind of thing. And they took my data and did something with it. I don't even know what they did with it, doing like big data analysis or something. So. Oh. All right. Well, maybe we should get to the topic going HTML native, Chris. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people call it vanilla JS. And I think you know, one of the things that we were kind of getting into a little bit was, you know, people get scared of you know, well, if I don't have this the, the big brand name off the shelf stuff, what am I going to do? Um, well, it's just like going to the grocery store, you know, the produce aisle, and then right next to the produce aisle is like that supposedly healthy um, aisle of stuff that most people avoid. Um, that I've learned to actually go down and buy mm-hmm. things from now, like mm-hmm. you know, almond milk and coconut water and things like that. Okay. Um, and almond butters. That stuff, not so. That stuff's awesome. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I like pig butter personally. Otherwise, it's nice. lard. Oh, yeah, the pig butter. I heard y'all talking about that on your, on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering what pig butter was. Okay, good. Uh, so um, there's, there, there are healthy alternatives to everything. Um, and you know I, I think people freak out because I say I wrote my own version of jQuery. I wrote a little library called Dollar Bill. Uh, and it's, I haven't looked at it in a while, I don't know, 12 or 15 kilobytes minimized. And maybe that's before, I don't even know off the top of my head. It's its tiny, but it has all the core functionality that I need in jQuery. It doesn't have the sizzle engine because all the browsers support the document.query selector, all uh, API functions that weren't there when jQuery was created, for example. Right. So that cuts out 42 kilobytes, I think, of jQuery right there that you don't need. And then there's some other functions that I don't really use um, that I just didn't replicate in there, but I can add them on if I want to because the entire architecture of jQuery is a is that plugin architecture. Every one of those core functions genuinely is actually a plugin, uh, which really means it's a new, it's a function that's been added onto it, um, kind of. So and it's just been bundled into this the core package for you. And so all plugins are just functional extensions. So it serves as kind of like this base. Utilitarian object for me, uh, except I don't have the full weight of jQuery coming down the pipe, and that nice. you know that's good and bad. I don't worry about supporting obsolete browsers. Um, the one problem where I probably might come into is if someone's running a, a circa 2010 Android, that's probably not going to work. And I have to ask, are there really that many of them out there, and are they really part of my actual customer base for this particular application? Generally, the answer is no. Because you know, so and it depends. You know, if that is a problem, then that's a, that's a real problem. But the way I generally handle that is what we call cutting the mustard, and that's a you know, it's obviously a a British term. But the 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 process was formally presented uh, at uh, one of the smashing comps. I don't know back in 2012 or 2013 by one of the people from the Guardian or the Financial Times. One I can't remember which one, but basically what they do is they do feature detection of things they're actually doing in the application that they need to have that the full fidelity or rich version run and if your browser doesn't support it then they generally flip you to a lo-fi version that's essentially just a bare minimum get the get the stuff done kind of thing basically what we would have in circa you know somewhere in the 90s website version basic css no javascript full postbacks for everything. If you have to support that kind of stuff, then do that. I'm finding I really don't even have to do that as much anymore. Now when I do feature detection, it's more to dynamically load a polyfill like a promises fault polyfill because IE11 doesn't support promises because that spec wasn't finalized before IE11 came out. So therefore it wasn't included as a, you know, a feature support in IE11. So, you know, that's that's the number one thing I'm actually doing right now is building a promises polyfill so I can start writing promises. But, you know, as far as a lot of the other, I don't write in ES6, which a lot of people still find a little strange that I don't do that yet. But they're all running stuff through Babel that creates this additional layer of stuff to really just do what I'm doing. And the one thing, the one big thing I do like about ES6 is classes, but I've had a class polyfill that I've been building my applications off of for like four years now Yeah, that I did not, I did not write John Resig wrote it. Hmm. Uh, And if you don't know who he is, he wrote jQuery. Yeah. So uh, I use a, uh, a rendering function instead of a, a big library uh, that believe it or not, John Resig also wrote and it's like 21 lines of code. Yeah. So, I generally don't necessarily write things. The reason why I wrote Dollar Bill was it was an exercise for me. Mm -hmm. I did it one Saturday afternoon in three hours. I wrote the core thing, and then I kind of played with it. I hadn't even written anything in it in months. Uh, But occasionally, I will write my own stuff like that, Mm -hmm. just sometimes for fun, sometimes out of necessity. But a lot of times, I can find really good alternatives. I can go down that healthy aisle and find something. So. Uh, a few years ago, I was I was forced to use Angular on a project, and they were like, well, you can't do binding and stuff like that without Angular, and it's, that's fantastic. And I, can, I can see the whole seduction of the whole MVVV, the MVVM model, whatever. Anyway, um, and I was like, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And It didn't take me very long. to me like one night in the hotel room to find a library, I think it was seven kilobytes, or it might have been three. I think it was seven, called Rivets that does the whole… Ah. MVVM uh, Angular syntax. You could actually use Angular syntax if you wanted, but it had its own, you know, uh, um, attribute uh, prefix that, that that it came with. But you could you could swap it out for the Angular version of it, and it would work just fine. But you know, it's seven kilobytes compared to the full size of Angular. And as I was digging into Angular at the time, I saw Angular essentially replicating code that was native in the browser, and I was like, this is just a waste of effort right here. Why am I even shipping this? Why am I even pushing this code down when I've this stuff's just already there in the browser natively? I don't have to have this big giant abstraction to do stuff that's been there for a while. Uh, I couldn't figure out why they even included a lot of it. The Angular I'm talking about Angular one. I honestly have not looked at Angular two, so please don't ask me any questions about it. (laughs) Well,
2: we've had some conversations about it, and it's it's lightened up a lot. Yeah, but. I, I, I got to imagine a lot of that code has to do with down-level browsers, with older mm. browser support.
1: Well, I don't know, because Google's got an overall policy of N-1 with browser support. So they're not going to support anything prior to IE 11 right now. And most places generally have the, what we call this N-1 support policy. Current version and previous version, if you're before that, you're kind of on your own. Uh, it may or may not work, but we're not going to support it. Kind of thing, because it, it becomes extremely expensive to support all those. It's just yes. like having a native application on Android with all the variations of Android. You know, it, it becomes problematic unless you define your support set, which is one of the reasons why Apple is so tight with you will be on this version of iOS or you're done kind of thing.
2: It's all well and fine until nobody can use your app.
1: Yeah, see these uh, companies that uh, they're they're tied to these CRMs with you know, they initially invested back in, you know, 10 years ago, $7 million, let's say, or $10 million or whatever it was. And then the uh, the upgrade price is similar or more, you know, with all the effort that has to go through. Plus, it's scary. You don't know if your applications, your data is still going to be uh, sanitary or whatever going forward, if it's going to work. So they tend to stick with the one that they installed 10 years ago. And that yeah. was designed for 2000 or Internet in, in Explorer 8. Or or basically, that's it. And so they're like, oh, we're stuck, which is why the IE team made enterprise mode, mm-hmm. which is a safe way for you to still run that application inside of IE 11 within right. that secure, you know, sandboxy wall kind of thing, if you will. And, you know, of course, that 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 requires IT management and so forth and so on.
2: But, you know, the funny thing is they're now building up this new cost, right? And it's, it's impeding productivity developers. It's impeding getting those features done. You know, the none of this stuff is free. You know, you try, you save money over here, you cost money over there.
1: Yeah, um, you know, so you know, the whole I, enterprise on IE still kind of thing is 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 kind of a is kind of a holdback thing. That's going to have to change in the near future. Yeah, I haven't investigated enough to to really know how much Microsoft's getting traction in the enterprise, say with Windows 10, and getting the the enterprises to adopt this. You're going to just be on nonstop upgrade policy and long-term servicing branch is really for that really super fringe scenario mm, right and you pretty much kind of have to offer us uh, a, a real good reason why you can even be on long-term servicing branch or whatever I, I think there's like rules behind that and everything but but the good news for developers is if they get off that old version of a browser and and honestly most enterprises go into they're already using Chrome or Firefox anyway because they don't like Having to be have to use IE8 or IE9, right. and so they they tend to think that's where Internet Explorer is, and that's honestly not where it is. Um, but those applications won't work in Chrome and Firefox because they were designed against old standards that have been deprecated completely. Um, so, you know, the good news for developers is going forward, building front end stuff, you can you can apply these standards now. Sometimes these standards get replaced too. And that's this is where I think having a very uh, lean modular architecture uh, is very beneficial. So one of the one of the things we're going through right now is application cache is probably going to be deprecated in a couple of years. That's my that's my prognostication mm-hmm. in favor of service workers, which I'm very excited about. And service workers are being worked on right now in Edge because the spec is becoming closer and closer to recommendation status. And that's great. I haven't actually written very much other than some quick little, you know, demos for service workers. But um, my architecture, the, the the core architecture I use for my spas to manage stuff essentially becomes native with service workers because it's got the whole caching mechanism built in. It replaces Ajax with the fetch uh, mm. stuff. So it makes Ajax a lot better. Uh, but uh, the content caching aspect of it, is going to be super awesome because that's essentially what I've been doing with my my applications already. Uh, but I route things through local storage, and honestly, so that's going to offload a lot of the caching that I kind of manage right now, and make it native, and then also give me better space <laughs> allocation and management for that too. So I'm honestly I'm pretty excited about where that can go. Um, so that's you know that's that's just an example right there. You know if we if you build stuff with App Cache, which is gives you the ability to do offline applications. That spec, yeah. you know, it's always been kind of quirky and clunky to work with anyway. That may be going away in the near future in favor of service workers. It'll probably be there for another three years or so, let's say. But um, I'm already starting to look at how can we replace it with service workers and, uh, and such. So, yeah. Some, yeah, since my stuff's rather modular, I can just swap out um, new versions of my libraries as long as I essentially have uh, the interface is the same kind of thing. Or if if worse, I can, I'll i just write a, uh, uh, basically, a, not, I can't remember what the term is off the top of my head, but basically a layer between the new version and uh, the application that's using it so that it's got the same interface that maps to it. I do that occasionally, too, until I get other things kind of synced up or whatever. So Because I've, I've replaced several libraries that I've used uh, across uh, some applications rather quickly, sometimes as few as five minutes, uh, being able to swap in a new one. Wow. So, yeah, wow. Yeah, we kind of we, we kind of started off with you know we, we, you won't have all this cool stuff. Well, the reality is somebody's probably written a library or a module or something out there that does what you're afraid is not there. Sometimes it's a little hard to find. Right. Stack, over, Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow's your friend. There's a few other sites that kind of try to curate these things. I need to do a better job of of uh, sharing those sites out. Um, but uh, they're, they're out there, and I, you know another thing that I do. I do go find jQuery plugins. Sometimes they work against dollar bill and I just use them. Uh, Sometimes I look and see kind of what are they really doing and I can quickly see how to write the code to do it. So I do write it from scratch Um, because, you know, their library, their plugin may be 20 kilobytes and I can do it in two. Uh, And it doesn't take me a whole lot of time to do it. Or I see them doing stuff in JavaScript that really should be a CSS uh, task like animations. Um, That's a big one that I see still. uh, People... Uh, relying on JavaScript to do animations, you should really push that into the CSS layers. In fact, I see like the Web Component Polymer stuff; uh-huh. they're, they're really trying to get people to write a lot of JavaScript to do stuff that should be CSS, uh, and that's uh, it's things like that that bother me. And they should they should know better, to be honest with you. Um, the Chrome guys know better, and they preach. They'll basically they're kind of opposing each other, both Google entities. Uh, on the Google Developers Network, they're kind of opposing each other. It's kind of interesting to see that sometimes.
2: CSS seems to be the technology that the fewest people understand. Like, it's just we, we, we tend to write stuff in JavaScript because we actually have a clue.
1: Yeah. So, CSS, I spend, uh, honestly, I spend three four of my time playing in CSS, push, pushing pixels. And if you get into responsive design, I think you're going to be sitting there most of your time kind of looking at your application in different viewports to see what does it look like. And this is one of the reasons why I have, I don't know how many phones and tablets. Richard, you would be so proud of how many USB cords are on my desk right now. (laughs) 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 In fact, I am am literally looking at three phones, an iPad and a Surface, and there's two tablets over here to my right on my desk right now. Right. And I've got more in a drawer. I got more in a drawer. The, you've got a drawer <laughs> so, of broken
2: dreams is what you've got. <laughs> no, they're
1: not. I actually use them uh, as ah, I have time. But Future broken dreams. Yeah. Well, the Chrome developer tools have actually gotten pretty good at letting you uh, emulate device viewports. So you nice. really have a better idea how it actually will render. And you can sort of do it in Edge's developer tools. It's not quite as clean yet. Uh, I haven't had a chance to really play in Firefox to see how well they do that emulation. There was also a post, and I haven't tried it out yet. I think the latest version of Canary has a pretty good bandwidth uh, uh, emulator built into, so you can, say, uh, tone tone down the speed to a simulated 2G speed. Um, I don't know how accurate that is from talking to some of the guys on those kind of teams. are like, it's... You know, we're kind of doing a mathematical formula to kind of figure it out. Your mileage may vary, but at least it'll give you a good idea. Yeah. And I think it's really good that developers need to be working on slow connections. You know, Facebook makes their makes everybody for what? Uh, the whole day of Tuesday or just two hours? And the New York <laughs> Times does it as well. They make them work over a cellular connection instead of the the, co- the company broadband. That's right. Uh, plus, I, this is one of the reasons why I love uh, deploying to the cloud so much. It's so easy to just spin up a little website And deploy the code during development up there as well, because it makes it – I don't have to worry about building kind of hacks to get my iPhone to connect to local host or something like that. I can just have it connect directly up to a a really obfuscated URL, Mm -hmm. so to speak, to bring up the application. And I can actually test it on the device pretty fast and over a cellular connection if I want to. And And that's very beneficial because I do get a better feel. What is this going to be like on a phone? what is this phone experience really going to be like even if the phone's on broadband the cpu and the memory the disk storage are always much much more limited than your your desktop pc so mm-hmm. it it provides a more realistic experience for the developer and i think too many developers don't go that level and so they think it's if it's fast on my desktop it's fast there and i think you really have to go to that level to to really experience it so one of the things about like having the big JavaScript payload, so the difference between, say, an image, which Josh brought up, and the JavaScript being roughly the same size, the image doesn't have to be evaluated by the browser, whereas the JavaScript is. And so there's latency built in at that point. Even if, the, even if it's cached locally, mm. um, the browser's still going to have to evaluate it. And um, Tim Cadlick did some really good... Uh, research on it, he used some code that Etsy uh, published at a at a velocity a couple three years ago, where they were measuring how long it took different libraries to actually process. And the and the, and the Etsy code, the JavaScript on the Etsy, how long did it take to actually get evaluated for different devices? Hmm. And so Tim published, what is, well, how long does it take jQuery to get? to get evaluated. And I, I ran his code on a bunch of my different devices. I can't remember the numbers on his post. If you look up 10 Cadillac, uh, you'll find it was, I think it was October 2014 because it was before I went on my diet. I know that. Okay. So, uh, But uh, um, I want to say like uh, iPad 2 or iPad 3, you're looking at like, I don't know, 40 or 50 milliseconds for jQuery to get evaluated once it was downloaded, mm. um, which doesn't sound like a whole lot. But when, you, when you've got a lot of websites now have, like, let's say 50 to 100 JavaScript files being downloaded, and each one of those has to be downloaded and time to first byte, all that kind of stuff be considered. Um, you, it's easy to get two to four seconds of latency even after the, the initial content has been rendered uh, on the page. And this is one of the reasons why when you go to a page and you like, try to click a link, and nothing happens, or you scroll and nothing happens, or it bounces on you, it's because it's still loading all these JavaScript libraries and it's still uh, evaluating all these libraries. And, uh, you know, that's very problematic. And on top of that, especially in the enterprise, you've got you've got other people outside of the developers and the DevOps crew, they're using things like tag managers to drop in third-party scripts that no one knows about, and they make the, they just propagate issues. And they will load stuff that may conflict with what you're actually doing. This is one of the reasons why you get browser hangs and crashes and stuff like that. Is because you've got all this excess code that no one knows what's going on, uh, infecting it. So you've you're you're. I like the the term that I heard one of your podcasts and your keto stuff. That you're outsourcing control of your application at that point, and that becomes that can be very problematic. Hmm.
0: Chris, I got a question for you that may or may not be related, but If let's give me a hypothetical situation. If you're working in an office and you notice one of your coworkers gets up and goes to lunch, and then you, you think you hear some music coming through the headphones on the desk and yes, they've left a streaming audio app running. Do you go over and turn it off? (laughs) 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 So the question is, does it bother you that that bandwidth is being wasted?
1: Um, it, it might bother me that bandwidth being wasted. Yeah. Um, I, it depends on how loud it was, if I actually turned (laughs) it off or not. (laughs) Um, I download all my music to my phone, so I don't have it streaming. Um, I will tell you, I will tell you a funny story on that. So I started playing Pokemon Go with my, with my family when it came out. Yeah. And so, my, my wife asked me, like, two weeks into, she goes, how much bandwidth are we using with this game? And I'm like, I don't know, but it's fun. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I got a warning from AT&T last week, yeah. that, like, the day before the end of the month cycle. It's like, you're within 10% of your bandwidth. I haven't gotten one of those in two years. Wow. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah. So, wow. Pokemon Go might be a bandwidth hog. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so, if you can, use it over Wi-Fi and walk around your house. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you yep. will hatch eggs just walking around your house and get, and get healthier too. There uh, you go. <laughs> but
0: anyway. so where, where, where are we going to see you next? Are you going to be at dev intersection? No,
1: I'm not doing a uh, dev intersection or dev brackets. connections this year. Uh, so the next thing I am doing will be uh, the Northeast JavaScript conference in Stamford, Connecticut. So oh, maybe no you'll come down. Yeah. Maybe you'll come over and say hi. Uh, yeah, It's
0: about two hours away from me, but um, yeah. But i would still meet you in New Haven for lunch or something.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't I got uh, one session on the first day and then two sessions on the second day. That's a Thursday Friday uh event. Okay. And uh I'll I'll shoot you a link to it so you can put it in the show notes. But sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually part of the bigger uh developer conference thing that's going on there. And uh nice. I'm still a little hazy on what was going on, but they reached out to me to come speak, so I'm gonna be oh. doing a session on like using the the Edge developer tools and some memory analysis tools that aren't included in the Edge that you, that you may or may not know you have to maybe basically track down memory leaks is one of the big things I'm going to be doing there. But some other stuff in the developer tools, a lot of de- developers don't really understand how to use the developer tools. Mm. And honestly, there are parts of the developer tools in all the browsers that confuse me and Chrome's mm. the worst because they change theirs every six weeks to be totally yeah. different interface. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm gonna be uh, doing that, but I'm also about vanilla JS and single page applications and things like that and That's JavaScript great. optimizations. Um, those are things. Um, I've got to submit, I've got some stuff I'm about to submit to, uh, the Philly Code Camp, which is, uh, like October 21st, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Uh, I'll be, I should be doing a workshop there and maybe a session or two on the Saturday. And, uh, I was talking to my wife yesterday. I'm going to, uh, this weekend, too, I'm also submitting some talks to the Silicon Valley Code Camp. We'll see how that goes. So cool. maybe I can get some juice from, from the podcast here to, to be able to speak out there as well. I've been wanting to speak at the, that, that uh, event. I mean, it sounds awesome. It's like, what, 10 million developers come to it or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know Pete Kellner does a great job. Uh, running it every year or else it wouldn't be as uh, successful as it is and as big as it is. I mean, they have to, they have to charter buses for everybody. It's like going to a big Microsoft event. Wow. Indeed. Yeah. He does, he does a good job. Well, Chris, thanks for talking to us. Uh, You know,
0: it's always good to talk to you and it's always great to get opinions that are outside of conventional wisdom, which is definitely where I see this, but, but we learned so much in talking to you. It's, it's hard
1: to argue. Well, that's, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> that's a good compliment to get. Yeah. Um, it's, good to, it's good to have these dialogues and it's good um, to kind of challenge developers. That is absolutely true. Yeah. And, and, you know, they challenge me and I, and, you know, while I fight back, I actually appreciate it and I enjoy it. It's good banter. Um, and uh, there's always ways to do things differently than what you're doing. And that's why we have so many different options out there. And that's, right. and that's healthy. But when it boils down to it, the, the real Goal of your business is to be successful, and while that may be uh, getting customers to buy something from you, or sign up for something, or engage with you somehow, or just in the line of business, employees be more productive, engaged, and happier at work. Yeah, performance has a lot to do with the psychology that's going on there. There's so much research uh, around that, and it just constantly proves it out. Sure so it does that. That's what I'm. That's what my goal is: is to make things that end users and customers really like. Um, Damn uh, the developers, so to speak. But. <laughs> All right, Chris, thanks again. And we'll talk to you,
0: dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks.